Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, why don't we turn in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, where we are today, uh, where we've been for the past several weeks. And by God's grace, we will continue to be for the next uh, couple months. Uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Uh, and uh, before we get started, let me pray, and we will look at uh, God's word together. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. I got a time to gather as your people, uh, with your people, God, to proclaim your truths over one another. I got a time to uh, reflect and worship, praise, and adoration of who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, Lord, now I pray that as we continue in worship, as we open your word, uh, God, that you would speak clearly to our hearts and minds. God, we know your Holy Spirit inspired this text to be written and has preserved it for generations for our benefit. So God, I ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you give our minds understanding, open our hearts to receive the gift of the gospel. And God, that by your spirit and through your word, you would transform who we are uh, for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus may go forth. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter one. We'll start at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us and the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Friends, through Christ Jesus, we are adopted by God. God who brings us out of isolation and unites us into his eternal family. This gives us future privileges and present responsibilities. A theology of adoption is large, it is vast, it is uh, an amazing thing to study when we look in scripture. And as we've been looking in chapter one for the past several weeks, and uh, a lot of these uh, sermons will overlap uh, because Understanding that we are adopted by God in Christ uh, wrecks everything about our worldview of who we are and what we're meant to do, who we're meant to be as God's people. Many of you guys know that back in college, I uh, took many trips to Romania. Uh, my heart was, uh, as, as a single college guy, was just was drawn for uh, foreign missions, and by God's grace, I had opportunities to spend several summers in Romania as an intern for a Christian ministry there, and we did. Uh, Camp, summer camps for orphan children and, uh, and taught them scripture and Bible verses. And we worked with uh, little babies all the way up to almost college age, uh, young men and young women. Uh, and there was a couple over there, that, an American couple that uh, 
Some of you guys even know Bruce and Catherine who uh, ran this organization, ran this ministry, and they're just an amazing couple from Texas. And um, over the years of their investment in, in the orphans of Romania, they uh, came to know uh, uh, two brothers, um, biological brothers, uh, Sam and Charlie are their names. And, and they just began to love on Sam and Charlie uh, as they served them through the uh, orphanage that they were a part of. And, and over time, by God's grace, uh, Bruce and Catherine were able to adopt Sam and Charlie into their family. Now, Sam and Charlie were biological uh, brothers, but Bruce and Catherine adopted them into their family. And, and Bruce and Catherine also had uh, other biological children, but their uh, adopted children were, were uh, very much a part of their family. Well, several years, about a decade ago, I, I got to visit, um, visit them over in Romania on, it was during Thanksgiving break, right? And so I go over there and um, I knock on the door. You know, I'd met Sam and Charlie a couple summers before at a summer camp, and then I knock on the door Thanksgiving, and, and the door swings open, and then there's little Sam and little Charlie. One's dressed as a pilgrim. One's dressed as a, a little Indian with a little feather, and, and they just both say, Happy Thanksgiving! And they welcome me into their house, and I go in uh, to have a Thanksgiving feast in Romania uh, with an American family who has adopted these Romanian boys to celebrate the Thanksgiving feast. Now, all that to say is you see this wonderful picture of, of adoption that has happened in that family. You see a husband and a wife who has reached out to some kids who are not biologically connected to them, but in love, they extend grace to them and say, we want these two boys in our family. And in adopting Sam and Charlie, these, these boys are now a part of this great family who has a, a culture that's not only a Romanian culture, but also has an American culture. Here we are in the country of Romania celebrating an American holiday, Thanksgiving, right? It, it, that's not what they do over in Romania. It's an American tradition. But these boys, having been adopted into a family, has now not only been adopted in love into the family, but has in so doing adopted the traditions and culture and value of the family of which they are a part. So in the same way, as Christians in Christ, we are adopted by God in love. This is God's doing for us, drawing us into his family so that we would uh, then take on the characteristics, the values and traits of our father who has adopted us. In Romania, we spent the day of Thanksgiving uh, not only feasting, but we were playing American football in the streets, which many of you guys know I'm awesome at. In the same way, in the same way, once we are adopted in Christ by God, we take on uh, certain traits and actions, as clumsy as we may be, reflecting the good, loving Father who has adopted us. So as we look in Ephesians chapter 1, I want us to see that through Christ being adopted by God, this brings us out of isolation into a family. This is God's doing. And this gives us uh, future privileges that we look forward to, but also present responsibilities. All right, so the first thing I want us to see is adoption is from God through Christ. All right, you see in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. All right, verse four and five is, is pivotal here as we look at a theology of adoption, what it means. That adoption is from God through Christ. Adoption is done in love by God through Christ. And we are the recipients of that. 
Scripture tells us that in so doing, we are blessed, that we have been recipients of blessing, that we are chosen, that we would uh, be holy and blameless, but that is done because God first initiates adoption in love. When you look through Scripture, time and time again, you see that uh, love is a characteristic of God. In fact, Scripture tells us that God is love. Love is not just an emotion. Love is not a feeling. When scripture says here that in love, God adopts us through Christ, God's not saying, oh, look how cute they are. You know, like you would go adopt a puppy, for instance, right? If you see a puppy that's cute, you might say, that's a cute puppy. I want to adopt it. That's not what love means here. Love in scripture is uh, God's covenant-keeping faithfulness to his wayward people. When you read the Old Testament, time and time again, you see God's people are are wayward, they're idolaters, they're sinners, they're doing foolish things, they're doing clumsy, stupid things, running from God in rebellion. We do the same thing today. Either we look at God and say, God, I see what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, I know what you want from me, but I am choosing to go this way. That's sin. That's rebellion. Or sometimes we'll say, God, I see what you're saying, I hear what you're saying here, I know that this is what you want from me, but instead of doing it through Christ, I'm going to do it this way because I'm smart and I'm talented and I know you'll love me and approve me, right? That too is rebellion. But see, Scripture tells us that God chooses us in love for adoption. This is God's covenant-keeping faithfulness to his people. God, God's saying, from generations past, I have promised to be a father to my people and I will be a father to them. No matter how rebellious they are, no matter how wayward they become, God in his goodness, in his love, in his faithfulness says, I'm going to choose those people to be in my family. If you're a Christian, God has extended that love and faithfulness to you. He has reached out from generations past. Scripture tells us he has predestined us for adoption, meaning, meaning since time began, God said, it is my plan that you would be in my family. God has reached out to you and said, you are going to be a son. You are going to be my daughter. That's something God does in love. This is not done out of our merit. This is not done out of our cuteness. This is not done out of our talent or our goodness or our religiosity. This is God's covenant keeping faithfulness to us. And I think we hear that I can see it on your faces. You can hear that and say, that's oh, great, man. God's covenant keeping God. Do you realize what that means? That means you walk in here today, you could have done the most wretched, wicked, sinful mess this morning, and God is still covenant keeping faithfulness, showing love to you. That means you can walk in here this morning saying, I just brushed up my resume so that the Lord will like me. I memorized four Psalms this morning. And God can look at you and say, Ah, my prideful, wayward son, I love you. My prideful, wayward daughter, I love you. You see, adoption is rooted in God's character, God's doing. And it's easy for us in Christian culture today to think that, well, maybe, maybe if I do certain things, God will love me. Maybe if I act a certain way, God will approve of me. Maybe if I go to seminary, maybe, maybe then God will say, look, you, you are who I've wanted you to be, and now I will accept you. Friends, let me encourage you to shed off that fear, shed off that lie that God's adoption of you, Scripture tells us, is through Christ in love. Not your love for God first, 
not your love for uh, each other first, not your love for scripture, not your love for uh, anything else. It is God's love and covenant-keeping faithfulness toward you. It's important that we see that. Because what I don't want us to hear is to say, well, I want to be adopted, so what do I need to do to clean myself up? Let me tell you, when you walk into an orphanage in Romania and you see 200 kids laying in a crib, those kids are not doing anything to try to impress you. In fact, you walk into a room, it is dead silent because they know that crying does no good. So you walk into an orphanage and you hear silence and kids won't even look up you and say, look, look at me, I'm cute, adopt me. Look at me, I can perform a certain way so I can impress you, take me, pick me up. Mm -mm. What happens is adoption is done solely rooted in the love of a father. And scripture tells us that this adoption gives us a new identity, that in Christ, through Christ, we are adopted. And this adoption makes us faithful saints, Paul tells us, makes us blessed. It's because we are chosen that in so doing, God makes us to be holy and blameless that we are adopted. Now, in the first century, adoption uh, was, was uh, part of, of Greek and Roman culture. And so in the first century, when the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, they were, they were understanding what, what Paul is meaning by adoption here. This was not a foreign concept to them. In Roman culture, in the first century, uh, the uh, Roman society, the father had absolute power. If you were a father in a Roman society, you, you were it, man. All power and control of that family uh, was, was yours. I mean, everything was yours. In fact, you could decide uh, if you wanted one of your, your children, if you, you could end their life if they were not pleasing you, and that wouldn't be considered murder. You could do that because you were the father in Roman culture. And so adoption takes place in Roman culture. History tells us that, that there are two main steps to adoption. The first would mean that the natural father would have to relinquish all his rights to his child. That means that if somebody wanted to adopt out a child, they could just say, look, I am withdrawing all of the rights I have on this. I'm, I'm withdrawing all of my control and power over this child. That was the first step for adoption, saying, I will no longer obligate this child to uh, respect me or to fulfill any role that I have for this child. I am, I am pulling away my power, my control, my rights, and my privileges. That's what a father could do if he wanted to adopt out his children. Secondly, uh, the adoptive father would come in and say, okay, now I am going to assume that control, assume that power. I'm going to... Uh, impart responsibility and privileges and, and rights and expectations on this new child. And so adoption was, was uh, very much practiced in the first century. And then the new child who would be adopted would now have loyalty to the new family, to the new father, not looking back to the old father saying, okay, old father, uh, when I was part of that old family, uh, this is what we did. And so being in a new family would not look at the new father in the face, the new father who had all power, control, and even the right to kill you. You would not look at your new father in the face and say, thank you for adopting me. Thank you for taking me in your family. Thank you for providing privileges and rights and expectations on me. But you know what? In my old family, we did it this way. That could get you killed in the first century by your adoptive father. So what does this mean for you and I today? If, if through Christ, God in love has adopted us, what are the implications? Friends, if you have been adopted by God, you do not have loyalty to your old father so to speak. Through Christ, in love, God has chosen you to be his son, to be his daughter. The old way of life lays no claim on you anymore. Your old sins that say, look, uh, I will give you fulfillment, follow me, 
the old sins that lavish on you guilt and shame and wreck your life, they have no claim and power and control in your life anymore. Nor should we run to them thinking that's our old family. We like the old family better. On the flip side of that, since we are adopted by God in love through Christ, we no longer look to our old family so to speak, of of religious tradition or spirituality or anything that is apart from the gospel. Good things, but things that we've made ultimate things in the place of Christ. You see, Paul says here that we have been adopted in love through good works, right? Seeing if you're paying attention. No, that we have been adopted in love through good spirituality. And we've been adopted in love through do better, try harder morality. Is that what scripture says? Are you awake? No. That's not what scripture says. Okay, for both of you, let's go gospel. Let's go gospel. We'll just go gospel right here. The gospel is that you do not choose God, he chooses you. The gospel is God chooses you in his covenant keeping love, not your goodness, not your smartness, not your tradition. I don't care what your resume looks like. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how good it is. That's freeing. That's good news, is it not? We'll just move on. Holy Spirit, catch us up, please. Holy Spirit, catch us up. In the Old Testament, here's one of the greatest things about adoption that, that Paul teaches us is that since adoption is done in God's covenant-keeping love through Christ, we are transformed into sons and daughters of the king of the universe. In the Old Testament, time and time again, God was seen as a father a covenant-keeping father to Israel. And Israel would always respond to him as father, father, father. The the word used there was a very formal, uh, respectful thing, right? But in the New Testament, through Christ, we not only call him father, but we can call him dad, right? Daddy. That's not disrespectful to call God our dad, We see that Jesus, time and time again, calls his father, not only father, but he calls him Abba, Daddy. Paul writes in Romans 8, 15 to 16, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news is that in Christ, through Christ, in God's covenant-keeping love, we are children of God. We look at God, the Father, the Creator, and we say, you are our dad. It's relational. Not in fear, not in obligation, but in joy. I have a son. His birthday is this week. We celebrated it yesterday. We had a, a little party and uh, for my little boy, and it was fun. I just, just wanted my son to know I love him. I just, I just wanted to lavish on him gifts and cake and lollipops and just all kind of stuff. Just filled him full of sugar because I love that boy. I did not say, hey, little man, you're going to be three this week. I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and then I will accept you. That's my boy. I mean, he, <laughs> he's three. And so he makes little mistakes every now and then, right? Those of you who have children know how hard it is to parent a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And so it's not perfect, but that's my boy, and I love him. In the same way, God is lavishing upon us love time and time again in his covenant-keeping faithfulness because he is good, not because we are. But the good news doesn't end there. The good news of adoption is not only that we are uh, accepted by God through Christ, but we 
have been drawn out of isolation into the family of God. Now, this is good news, and you're going to hear us harp on this a lot here at Redemption Church. Christianity is not a solo sport. Discipleship is not an individual journey you go on by yourself. So the Lord saved me. He did. But he saved you into a family. You are not the only son of God. You are not the only daughter of God. We are part of a family, a very imperfect family, a very flavorful, funny family, right? We're part of a beautiful family. Now, here's what's exciting about this. Throughout the Old Testament, you read from Genesis all the way through the prophets, and God is, is a loving father extending his covenant-keeping love to Israel as his people. We get to the New Testament, and that covenant-keeping love through Christ is extended to non-Jews, to non-Israel, to non-Old Testament folks, to folks who know nothing about Old Testament dietary laws or Old Testament rules or Old Testament anything. I don't know anything about that. And through Christ, God and his love extends that grace to Gentiles is what the New Testament calls all of us who aren't Jews, right? This is beautiful. In 1 Peter 2.9, we've heard this a couple of times through this series, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the beauty of adoption, is that we are part of God's people. We're not, this is not a collection of persons in here. We're people, right? We're a family. Have you ever had Thanksgiving alone? I have. I had Thanksgiving alone one time. That wasn't fun. <laughs> I have a lot to be thankful for. It's a long story how that happened, but basically I had this surgery and I was at home and I was like laying on the couch on Percocet watching Mary Poppins thinking, my life is awesome. <laughs> I had a friend bring me over a turkey TV dinner. I was like, thanks. I don't remember any of that, but I was told that's what I did on that day. Right? Likewise, being adopted means we are part of God's family. It's a good thing. It's like Thanksgiving feast with a bunch of people. Some, some, of you, some of the family you don't like as much as the other, but that's okay. It's not your prerogative. This is what I love about adoption. Adoption is God's doing, which means you do not get to choose who is in God's family. Hmm? You do not get to pick who gets to be a son of God. You do not get to choose what sister you have in Christ. It's God's doing. Now, for a guy like me, that's great news. So I'm not sure all of you would want me at your Thanksgiving table. But guess what? I'm part of your family. You're part of my family. See, the good news is it's Christ's doing by God in love through Christ. He's adopting all kind of wacky people. And for most of us, that's great news. Because none of us are good enough to sit at the table of the king. But God says, come on, got a seat for you right here. Get your finger out of the mashed potatoes. See, adoption is about acceptance and approval by God through Christ, but it's also about acceptance into a family, a great, discombobulated, fun family. I uh, have another friend who I worked with in Romania 10 years ago, and she is a college professor up north, and um, she's married with, with a couple kids, and her first daughter uh, she adopted from Romania. 
and we got to, we got to see is another instance of, of working in Romania, and she worked at a special needs orphanage. And uh, this, uh, her, who became her daughter at the time was, was at this special needs orphanage and, and had um, uh, some physical conditions that she couldn't, she couldn't learn to walk. She was uh, maybe two. And uh, she, wasn't, uh, she just had no control of her legs, no power in her legs. And the doctors in Romania said, uh, she'll never walk. She just won't be able to walk. And, and there's, there's therapies, there's treatments, there's, uh, there's physical therapy we could do for her, but we, we just don't have the equipment, we don't have the means to do that here. And so, and so my friend was just like, so you're telling me if, if this girl got the treatment she needed, she would be able to walk? And they're like, yeah, uh, but we don't have it here. But you're telling me if she doesn't get it, she'll never walk ever. And they said, that's right. So uh, this girl gets on the phone, starts calling senators, because uh, at the time, uh, Romania was a closed country for adoption, and just gets on the phone, starts calling senators, and says, we need to get a medical visa for this little girl to come to the States so she can get treatment for the next year so that she can learn how to walk. Now, providentially, by God's grace, this girl gets adopted. I mean, not only gets, this is what's great, not only gets a medical visa for a year, but just ends up being a part of this girl's family. And I was looking on Facebook with my wife this week. We were looking on Facebook just like amazed uh, at this girl is like, you know, 10 now. She's playing Little League. She's like running. It's beauty. It's the beauty of adoption is that there's healing. Okay, God adopts us into his family, not only so that we can learn to walk again, but so that we are part of the family and we can run, Right? I mean, I love this picture of this little girl, Yuliana is her name, and you see that, that it wasn't just like, hey, we're going to bring you to the States for one year, we're going to get you all cleaned up, we're going we're gonna to heal you, we're going to get you walking again, and then we're going to send you back. No, what happened is we're going to bring you to the States, we're going to give you therapy for a year, and you know what? Uh, you're just going to be part of this family. Not part of the family after you learn to walk. No, 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 no. You're going to be part of the family now that you don't know how to walk, and we're just going to accept you and love you, and you're in the family. By God's grace, now you're walking. Holy cow, you're running. You're at bat, you're hitting home runs. Likewise, through Christ, in love, God adopts us, heals us so that we learn how to walk. And he keeps us in the family while we trip and stumble and slide and scrape our knees. He keeps us in a family together. And it's a hilarious mess. And it's by God's grace. 2 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The beauty of adoption is not only that we as individuals are accepted and approved of in God, uh, by God in Christ, but the beauty of adoption is that by God in love through Christ, we are accepted and approved and connected to a family of God. That God heals us not only so that we can walk again, but so that we can run and like play baseball with each other. Sometimes you get hit in the head with a bat. It's okay. Get back up. We're part of a family. We're clumsy, uh, but this is God's doing. What I love about it is that since it's God's doing, we have no way to complain about how good or bad we are, how good or bad we think somebody else is. Look, it's God's doing, man. Your adopted son, God adopted you. I didn't adopt you. God adopted you. Guess what? He adopted me too. Let's hang out, right? Here at Redemption Church, we want to express this adoption community, right? We do it through four very simple means. The first is a corporate worship gathering like this. I look out here. I don't know all of you. You don't know all of each other. That's okay, 
This is, this is one of the means by which we express being the adopted family of God. This is like Thanksgiving feast. We all get together. We put our hands in the mashed potatoes, whatever. This is us, right? That's one means of expressing a community of adoption, celebrating who God is, what Christ has done for us. That's why we gather to worship. It's not about you by yourself coming to get a drive through happy meal so you can move on to the next thing. It's about you coming to sit at a table with extended family that you don't know. And let's hear what God's doing, right? That's what this is, a feast. Woo! Secondly, we do missional communities. Missional communities meet in people's homes uh, throughout the week. Again, it's imperfect gatherings of people, different stages of life. On one hand, you got some people over here that have a pile of kids that go to elementary school. Awesome. Over here, you got some people that don't have a lot of kids, and, and you're doing this on the weekends. Some of you guys get to go uh, hang out at like bars and restaurants and play trivia. That's cool. I can't do that right now. I got four kids, right? So I do other things. Missional, right? But missional communities are gatherings, smaller gatherings. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to Thanksgiving feast and you like eat everything and then afterwards some folks go to the living room, some folks go out on the back porch, smoke a pipe, you know, people over here go watch the football game in the den, right? You ever do that? Like that? That's what this is. Missional communities are the same way. This is the Thanksgiving feast and then we break up in missional communities throughout the week just to chat it up a little bit, have a little leftover turkey sandwich, talk about what the Lord is doing. All right, the, th- the third way that we express a community of adoption here, we have worship gatherings, we have missional communities, we have DNA groups. That's like pairing off one-on-one or maybe in a group of two, three, four maybe tops that you get together and you say, let me tell you what's really going on in my life. I ask you to pray for me, speak truth to me. That's fantastic. I love it when I get together with, with people one-on-one or, or two-on-one and have them speak the truth to me. I can like tell them what my sin struggles are and they're like, let me remind you of the gospel. Oh, thank you. I would encourage you guys to check out missional communities and DNA groups. If you are not in one, see our guest services table and we'll get you connected. Because this is a Thanksgiving feast, but we want to hand you like turkey sandwiches throughout the week to like snack on, if that makes sense. And then fourthly, the fourth way we express a community adoption is just through relationships, man. Just casual relationships. You don't have to be confined to your missional community or DNA group. You can meet other people in this room and say, hey, we're going to, you know, whatever, hang out. All right. So, that was kind of an aside, right? So adoption is a personal thing that God, in love, through Christ, accepts us, approves of us, brings us into his family for a personal healing and brings us into a community uh, together so that he can be our God, he can be our father, we could be his children, right? It's like a Thanksgiving feast. Lastly, I want to say this. Being adopted into the family of God is not only for personal healing, although that's part of it, but it's also for relational restoration in community like this, that's part of it. But thirdly, and lastly, we see that it's for missional purposes because God gives us privileges, future privileges with present day responsibilities. Look what he says. So we see in verse four, even as he chose us uh, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So that in love we're adopted through Christ for the purpose of his will. Well, what, what's some of the purpose of his will here that he's talking about? We don't know everything about God's will. We know a little bit. And, and this scripture tells us a little bit about God's will. For instance, verse 10, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. So part of God's purpose and plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth uh, to Christ. All right, that's part of it. But look at verse 11. It's important that we see the the what now of adoption? Okay, we're adopted, we're accepted, we're approved, we're a family. Now what? Here's what. God's united all things in heaven and on earth to Christ. Verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right, verse 11. That's exciting good news. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Have you ever inherited anything? I mean, maybe somebody has passed away and they they left you money or a car or a bunch of pewter ornaments or something, dishes. All right, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will. It's really, it's really exciting because you're like, wow, so, so uh, by God, in love, through Christ, we inherit what? Like God is the king of the universe and we, in, we have obtained an inheritance. We get something? Oh yeah. Read all throughout scripture what you get, right? You get a loving father, you get like blessings, you get all kinds of stuff, you get a great family. But look what else. So we often think of inheritance of like, oh, stuff I get, I receive, I receive. Is that part of adoption? It is. You, you receive from the Lord. He's your father, he's giving you gifts, right? He's like, I gave my son a gift yesterday. Here's a happy birthday, son. I'm giving him something. I just love you, just take it because I love you. It's a gift. That's what God does for us. You're my son, you're my daughter, I'm gonna give you something. But look what else happens with inheritance, because we, th- we think it ends at that usually, but it does not end with you receive. Look at verse 14. It's kind of hard because it's like the longest sentence ever. Let's, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wait a second. Does anybody see what's wrong there? Like verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 14 says, oh, until we obtain an inheritance. What does that mean? Have we obtained the inheritance or are we waiting to obtain an inheritance? Hmm, perplexing. What happens is we see that being adopted through Christ by God gives us present responsibilities with future privileges. All right, we have to keep in mind that the full privileges of the feast of the king is not here and now, huh? Right, we're looking forward to like the great, I mean, you look in Revelation and, and you see at the end of days, it's, it's God is calling all of his children to the, to the marriage supper of the lamb. This is not the marriage supper here and now. We're looking forward to that day. But what happens to many of us when we get in the Christian faith is we say, well, hey, I've been adopted. I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm in the family of God. Now I'm ready to eat. I'm going to feast at the banquet table. Can you do that? Yes, you can. But also, we're not at the full marriage supper yet. I mean, we have little snippets of it when we gather in worship. This is like a snippet of, an imperfect snippet of what heaven will be like. Some of you guys are like, really? Heaven's a big cafetorium? Apparently it is. Like you read in Revelation, it's a marriage supper, right? Not funny. But what happens when we are adopted sons and daughters of God as God gives us present responsibilities as we look toward future privileges. Real quick, I want you to turn to Luke 15. And this is a hard jump. This is a passage I want to share with you that is not specifically about adoption, but it's about sons and fathers. And it's important for us to get our heads around this because I think if we stop midway with adoption, it's okay, so in Christ I'm accepted, yes. In Christ I'm approved, yes. In Christ I'm a part of his family, yes. Now what? We have a future privilege we're looking forward to sitting at the marriage supper of the lamb, sitting at the banquet table. We have a seat at the marriage supper of the lamb, right, with other people 
like big Thanksgiving feasts. But now what do we do? We have present responsibilities. When you look in Luke chapter 15, again, this is not specifically about adoption, but this is a beautiful picture about a father and his sons. You're familiar with uh, perhaps the story of the, what's called the parable of the prodigal son in verse 11 of chapter 15. You can read this on your own later if you're not familiar. Even if you are familiar with it, everybody go home and read this. And you see there's a young son who says, Dad, I want all of my inheritance now. I I want it now right? You've you've promised me an inheritance and I want it. And the father says, okay, take it. And the son takes it and squanders it, spends his whole life spending it on parties and booze and prostitutes and gambling and Lord knows what else. And then it finds himself working amongst pigs in the mud saying, what have I done? And he goes back home to the father, like begging, saying, maybe, maybe the father will accept me just to be a servant. I could work my way back into his good graces. And says the father sees him from a long way off and, and like runs to him with his arms open and says, you're my son and I love you. Let's have a feast. The son of mine has come home. Let's slaughter a calf. Let's have a party, right? Doesn't that sound exciting? Like most of us can identify with the prodigal son. Most of us can say, yeah, look, I, I know I belong to Jesus, but I'm gonna squander my inheritance. I mean, Ephesians says that we have obtained an inheritance in Christ and most of us just squander it. I'm just gonna live life for me. Why not? I belong to Jesus, I'm just going to squander my inheritance. But it's okay because God will accept us. He's the loving father that stretches out his arms and sees us coming and runs to us and slaughters the calf. Fantastic. But look what else happens. Most of us in this room, I think, are more like the older brother. Because you see the older son in verse 25 is in the field. He comes close to the house. He hears a party. He hears music. He hears dancing. He's like, wait, everybody's feasting and having a grand time because that idiot brother of mine went away, blew everything and came back. And now the father's going to have a party. And so the father looks at him. This is great. Verse 29. He answered his father, look at these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Never, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Verse 31 changes everything. And he said to him, the father says to the son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad with this brother who was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. Verse 31, all that I have is yours. Why am I talking about the prodigal sons and the father right now? Because in Christ, we have been adopted sons and daughters. In Christ, we are accepted, we are approved, we are gathered to God's family. In Christ, by God and his love, he has gathered us and called us to be his people. He has given us an an inheritance now with a future inheritance that we're gonna get later, but for now, we have present responsibilities with that inheritance. The reason I bring this up, friends, is because I think most of us can relate to the story of the two sons and the father, because most of us are either saying, I've got my inheritance, and I'm going to go squander it, knowing that God will accept me later. Or more of us, I think, can relate to the older brother who says, look, I'm religious, I'm good, I'm doing all of this. And the whole time, the father's saying, all that I have is yours. I'm always with you. All that I have is, is yours. And I was meditating on that verse a lot this week, thinking, I how does this tie into a theology of adoption? If I'm a son of God, if you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ and we're sons and daughters of God, what is that verse, how does that tie in? And it occurred to me, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what this father was saying to his son or everything he was thinking, but I think part of it would have resonated with the older brother, not just 
all that I have is yours so you can go just enjoy yourself the rest of your life. I'm willing to bet when the father said, son, all that I have is yours, there may have been, this is me hearing it, uh, there may have been an ounce of, holy cow, I had all the resources in the world to go rescue my brother and I didn't. Do you see that there? I may be a little off, but when I was thinking, when you're, when you're hanging out with a father who says, who throws a huge party for the prodigal son and the whole time that you've been there pouting, good heavens, the whole time you've been pouting when your prodigal brother has been running as far away from the father as possible and then the father says, look, all that I have is yours. To me, this week that resonated like, holy cow, if we are sons and daughters of God and we have everything, he is always with us, we have everything we need, that is not just for us to enjoy it ourselves. That's, we have been given all the resources we need to enact the rescue plan of God. Does that register with anybody? Because when I look at Ephesians 1, when I look at Ephesians 1, he's ad- adopted us in love through Christ. We've been adopted sons and daughters Verse 10 says he's going to unite everything on heaven and on earth to Christ. The next verse, you have an inheritance. I mean, how are these two sentences related? God in Christ is uniting everything on heaven, everything on earth, and in the middle of that, you have an inheritance. Does that mean you can sit back and enjoy that inheritance just waiting for God to do everything? Uh, God's going to do what he wants to do, but I think... When I read that in light of like the prodigal son story about, hey, you, you, I'm always with you. Everything I have is yours. I feel that an ounce of that is a missional thrust of, look, you have everything you need to be part of God's mission of restoration to the world. We are in a ridiculously religious society where people are just feasting at the banquet table of the king while people are outside begging for scraps, metaphorically speaking. I'm not talking about feeding people sandwiches. That's good. But at the end of the day, right now across this city, there are wonderful churches with wonderful people just eating it up. Just, I want to get fed. Feed me. And then later this week saying, well, I have an inheritance. I mean, I have the inheritance of the king. Is that true? Absolutely. Should we enjoy it? Absolutely. When we get to heaven, first beer is on me, on Jesus. Right? We have an inheritance to enjoy now. Yes. May you enjoy that to the fullest with your family and with this extended family of of church folks. That's part of it. Let's enjoy the inheritance because because Ephesians 1.11 says we have obtained it. We have that inheritance to enjoy together. But, But also verse 14 says we haven't obtained it yet. So with what we have, may we steward and be part of God's rescue plan because having a seat at the king's banquet table obligates you to invite others to the feast. If you have a seat at the king's banquet table, you are obligated by a son or daughter of God to invite others to the feast. I mean, I think that's in part what was happening in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I think part of that conviction was, son, all that I have is yours. Yes, enjoy the goat, enjoy the wine, enjoy the dancing, but all that I have is yours to use that to resource the rescue plan to go get your wayward brother. Maybe just me. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) But what I want to recap is this, friends. We're spending a couple more weeks in chapter one of Ephesians because it's just so much. You get to like one word, in love. We could spend weeks on love, right? We can spend weeks on adoption. So we're trying to to frame it and give multi-perspectives of 
what God is doing because he's a loving, faithful, covenant-keeping God and Father. What is he doing in the book of Ephesians through Christ for us? And what does that mean for us? So our identity in Christ is that we are faithful saints. We are holy and blameless. We are chosen by God. We are adopted not only to feast with the king, although that's part of it, not only to celebrate together, although that's part of it, but also to invite others to the feast so that God would use his sons and daughters to rescue his other children, right? So as we have a time of response, I want to ask a couple things of you. First and foremost, if you are, if you are not a Christian at all, we want to help you understand this good news that by God in love through Christ, you are approved, you are accepted, you are forgiven. Uh, your sins and guilt and shame of your past is dealt with, it's done. It no longer defines you. You are defined now by who Christ is and what he's done for you. That's what I want you to hear more than anything. Non-Christians, that's for you. Christians, we need to be reminded of that because as Christians, we not always fall as prodigal sons who seek our own deal, but often we fall in the line of the older brother who say, well, now that I'm accepted, now that I'm approved, now that I'm at the king's estate, I just want to camp out and eat my goat, right? That's not what the king wants us to do for now. We have that inheritance, and by God's grace, it is coming sooner for some of us than others, but one day, by God in Christ, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb for eternity. I can't wait, but for now, we got work to do. Okay, and we need to repent of uh, feasting without sharing in the feast. We need to repent of uh, being uh, self-centered. We need to repent of being self-serving. And we need to repent of trying to do better and try harder so that the Lord will accept us. Look, don't try harder. Don't do better. Just the Lord loves you. He's your father. Because he is a good, loving father, he has accepted you through Christ for a purpose. So, uh, Chew on that. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, God, you're good. Uh, God, you're good to us. And I thank you that uh, you approve and accept of us uh, because of your character, not our character. Because of your love, not our love. God, your love is covenant keeping and faithful. Ours is fickle and emotive. But God, I thank you that our adoption is rooted solely in who you are and what you've done uh, by your son, through your son, Jesus and so doing, we are accepted not only into your family eternally, but we are accepted uh, by each other. God, I pray you would give us uh, uh, what, what your scripture says, the one another is to love one another, to pray for one another, to uh, build one another up. God, that we would do those things uh, to and for one another uh, because we are brothers and sisters in your family. God, that adoption is not based on uh, our merit, but on your character. And God, I pray that we would see each other through that lens. I pray that we would see ourselves through that lens and that we would see others in this church community through that lens. And God, that you would spur within us a, uh, a wisdom and a, a mindset to steward the inheritance that you've given us some of now. And God, we look forward to the eternal inheritance where we are at a wedding feast. Oh God, what a day that will be. God, may that spur us on with hope and with joy and excitement. But in the meantime, may we not pout on the back porch. But God, may we be uh, stewards of what you've given us to inherit. May we be uh, 
passionate about seeking and saving the lost. God, we know that you do that. You adopt, you choose. We have no idea who you're going to save or who's in your family, but we have a responsibility to just get the word out. I mean, God, to, to toss out invitations to the feast and who you bring, may we love well. Who you don't bring, may we trust that you have a plan for them. God, in all things, I pray that we would worship you well, we would praise you, that we would serve one another for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would advance throughout this city and throughout the world. We thank you, amen.